Open our ears that we may hear you speak to us. Equip us to live in light of this truth. Empower us by your spirit that we may share this news for your glory and the good of others. Amen. Andy. Thank you, Gareth. Um, whilst I'm just uh, getting myself set up here, it might be helpful if you had one of these to hand. Uh, if I say even better than the Bible, obviously the Bible's the best thing, but this will really help you because I'm not giving you one pastor, I'm going to be about 18,000 of them, and this will give you some of those. So uh, if there's any spare off a chair, I recommend you, you nick one. That would be really helpful uh, to what we're going to do this evening. And uh, hopefully there's going to be, on the PowerPoint, excellent. Go to the white slide, next one along, just one. Excellent. I need just to warm up, uh, I'm going to give you a bit of a quiz, a bit of a guess who. This is taken from Wikipages, okay, online. This is information from Wikipages. Can you tell me uh, who these people are? So here's uh, a professional footballer, began his career at Southampton. I'm oh, sorry, he was born in 1989. Uh, he played at left back uh, and moved to Tottenham in 2007. Now plays as a winger for Real Madrid and the Welsh national team. And it is? Excellent. Right, you're on there. Good. Another one. Born 1972, uh, an American drummer for a rock band. He was a touring drummer for uh, Alanis Morissette before joining his, uh, his best-known band in 1995. He recorded eight studio albums, the last of which was Medicine at Midnight. Sadly, he died on March 25th this year. He is... Oh, well done, that person. Extra five points for you. Excellent. Taylor Hawkins. I had to look him up. Um, uh, this uh, person was born in 1867. Uh, in Poland, uh, a physicist and chemist, the first person to win the Nobel Prize twice, and the only person to win it for two different scientific fields. She conducted pioneering research on radioactivity. Madden Curie, fantastic. Great. Uh, and the last one, a born uh, 1939 New Testament scholar, director for the Institute of Early Christianity. He got a PhD uh, in Sydney a parish ministry in St. George's Church in Singapore before being appointed to be the warden of Tyndale House at Cambridge. Oh, two people knew that. Amazing. Yes, Bruce Winter, uh, who, who is, my, in fact, my dad. Um, you know, it's a resemblance. Isn't he a handsome man? Um, now, now, out of those four people there, I, they're all from Wiki, by the way. Uh, my dad didn't write his own Wiki. He's as technical as a sheep in an elevator. I'm not sure he even knows it exists. Uh, but someone wrote it about him. So all that information is from Wiki. Now, I could introduce you to, well, I can't introduce you to the first person because I don't know him. Uh, the other two are dead, which makes it harder. But the last person I can both give you the information about from Wiki and also introduce you to, if he was here tonight. I could do both those things. And that's uh, really the, the start of where I want to begin with thinking about the gospel, the message of mission tonight. So let me pray, and we'll get stuck in. Father God, as uh, that psalm said, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God. Amen. So if you are tonight a follower of Jesus, um, you have heard information that led to an introduction. You heard the gospel, uh, the good news, uh, information about who Jesus is and what he's done on the cross for you. Now, you may have heard that at different times, different places, different ways, but you heard that information. And that led to an introduction 
to Jesus as your Lord and your rescuer. So that's not information like a geography case study that you need for exam. Sorry, Jay, if you're on holidays, I shouldn't mention that. Um, but you, know, you may know lots about Jesus, but not be a follower of him. Information, but no introduction. And the gospel of Jesus is specific information that introduces people into a relationship with Jesus as a son of God. So on your uh, sheet says a sentence, I've tried to sum up the gospel, try it at life group sometime, it's, it's a great game to play. Sum up the gospel in a sentence. Here's mine. A message about who Jesus is and what he's done, which enables people to put their trust in him. And so restores relationship between sinful people and a holy God. You can tell me afterwards how inadequate that is. I'm sure we've got lots of different ways we might express that, but we don't have lots of different gospels. We've got one gospel that comes from the Bible. So on that sheet of paper in front of you, I put lots of different verses that, that show, shine light on what the gospel is. There are many others as well. But here's a few to help us. So the gospel of Jesus, uh, what, what does it do? It, it forgives sin. Luke chapter 1 verse 77, uh, Zechariah's song, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. That's what it does, isn't it? Uh, sin is the stuff of self, that the selfness that would reject God. And because of that, because that broken relationship with us and God, we will then harm others and contribute to the brokenness of the world we live in. Uh, and that's a wrong, that's a crime, that's a, a wrong that's been committed. It needs forgiveness if it's to be restored. The gospel of Jesus saves us from judgment, which is hell. Not a word I use lightly. But that's what the Bible describes. So Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Uh, there's an opportunity for a gift which saves us from what we've earned, the wages of sin. Judgment before God. It makes us uh, alive for eternity rather than under God's wrath for eternity. Uh, John 3.36, one of my favorite verses for its clarity and clout. Uh, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. It's on them now. They'll experience it fully and finally one day. The gospel is the power of God for the rescue of people. So Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that brings salvation. So it's just a few words. It's a message, and yet that's how God chooses to act. He chooses to speak powerfully through that message. And it's that power in a broken world. So Romans 8 in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So somehow it is that the broken world we live in is tied to us and our sin. And when that problem is solved by God, fully and finally, so too the world will be re, uh, remade. The gospel of Jesus is God's gospel, not ours. Galatians 1, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of any human origin. I did not receive it from any person, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Plenty of other people have received it from people, uh, you know, as God uh, spreads his message of his son. But um, Paul can honestly say, I received it directly from God. It is not for negotiation. It's not for adaptation. It's God's gospel. It is wonderfully a gift of grace, Ephesians 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, is by grace you have been saved. Entirely undeserved, 
This gospel does not come to people who earn it. It comes to people despite that. The gospel is a message with information to it. Beginning in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of what? Of a feeling, a sensation, experience? No, of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received, on which you've taken your stand. And it goes on then to, to list specific points about the gospel, about Jesus dying and rising to life again. It's a message with specific information to it. It's a message for rational discussion. So Acts 17, as was his custom, so the thing Paul normally did, he went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, over three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. So that's not sort of quite a common strand today to say, oh, that's a matter of faith, not really a matter of thinking. It's a matter of rational discussion, that's faith, that's different than thinking. No, Paul does both. He, he explains, he engages with this thought. The gospel of Jesus is an introduction to a person, Philippians 3. Uh, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For whose sake, I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What's Paul's opinion of everything else compared to knowing the person of Jesus? It's just it's not worth it. He is worth it. And makes God's enemies into his family. Colossians 1. Once you are alienated from God, you can't get more separated than an alien, can you? And we're enemies in your minds against God because of your evil behavior, uh, what you've done. That's, that's, you can't get more than that, can you, surely? But now he has reconciled you, repaired that relationship by Christ's physical body through death. Friends, there are many, many, many more verses we could look at that describe the gospel to us and that help us see all the different facets of it. But I hope even just those few have reminded you, have delighted your heart and your mind. Maybe you're thinking, I'd love to see others down there, that the knowledge of God in good and bad, that the gift of the Holy Spirit, prayer, transformation, becoming like Christ, gaining a new identity, an experience of eternity. There are many, many more things we could rejoice in tonight about the message of the gospel. It's fantastic. And if you put your trust in Jesus, these things are true of you. So what brings you most joy about this gospel message? And what do you find you need reminding of most often? What do you most easily forget or easily downplay? What do you need a Christian brother or sister to remind you of regularly because you keep forgetting the gospel? Not all of it, but you keep downplaying bits of it. And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, then please, please, please take time to work through these things. If there is even the slightest chance that these things are true, then you owe it to make every effort to find out. This is better than next week's lottery numbers or any superpower or wish or your wildest ambitions coming true. This is better than that, isn't it? Please do chat to Gareth or myself or a Christian friend afterwards and please do dare to hope that these things could be true, that this good news could be for you. And I was preparing and thinking this week, I thought, I think there's possibly a third category of people. And maybe they're not here tonight because of who they are. But it's just people who, who know the gospel, who know Jesus, but are just weary. Michael alluded to this this morning. I think there's um, perhaps it's a stage of life, perhaps it's a post-COVID thing. 
pastors weary of, of Christian things? Are you feeling flat? You know these things are true, but you're just feeling flat. Maybe you're bruised by the past few years' worth of events, or busy and overcommitted. Do you feel like a, a mission like um, a passion for life is just an extra duty and another deep breath and, okay, do this as well, rather than a joy, and you just end up feeling guilty about it? I think there's a few of us like that out there. And maybe they're home listening online or not listening at all because that just feels like a bridge too far. So I, I went to the end of uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verses I, I, I love, which really helped me. And that's this We have a high priest who is able to empathize with our weaknesses. And let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence we may find. Uh, may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Uh, friends, Jesus is, is a sympathetic saviour who intercedes for us before the throne of God. That's who he is. Uh, and he's not looking for us to fake it. In fact, we can't fake it before him or, or, or to feel guilty. Can I encourage you to look for the, the Jesus of the gospel, not the Jesus we might fear is there, the actual real Jesus of the gospel. He's somebody who can empathise with our weaknesses in every way and bring this before the throne of God. So if you're feeling weary, if you're feeling uh, dull, uh, come back to Jesus. Ask a friend to tell you of the Jesus of the gospel. So I guess that, that first whole front, front side of that page is really just a, a reminder to us that before we start talking about the good news to other people, we need to hear it. And we need to keep hearing it week in, week out. We don't graduate from the gospel. We need to constantly remind ourselves of it because in it, we find this person, Jesus. And we have access to the Father through him. There you go. If you want to turn over your page, you'll see this uh, other few points. They're going to go much quicker, I promise, but hopefully more helpful as we think specifically about how this great message, how do we get it out there? So how do people hear and believe the gospel of Jesus? We know these things are true intellectually. Uh, hopefully our hearts do sing with joy on a regular basis uh, that knowing Jesus, we are freed from sin uh, and eternal death. So how do people hear and believe the gospel of Jesus in the Bible. I put two uh, verses down there, or two things down there. Firstly, uh, is this, um, people hear because God works in people. He works in people. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Paul describes them how he saw God at work in them. God works in people. Uh, often described as the work of the Spirit. But it's the God of the universe who steps into people's lives. Okay? He, he gets in there. And he connects them with the person of his son through the knowledge of his death and resurrection. God works in people. And so Chris reminded us last week, we must pray. We must pray for God to work. That's how people hear the gospel. But the second thing is this, that God works through other people. So uh, Steve reminds us of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors, we're speakers, we're proclaimers. God asks his people to tell other people the news about his son. And, and he knows who's he getting. He's not, he's not misled. Weak, fallible human beings. But that's what he wants to do, to use us to tell other people about the gospel. 
So what's the result of those two things being true, that God works in people and God works through other people? Uh, how has the gospel gone from the very, very beginning? Well, here's a slightly smelly analogy from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So there's one message, okay, one smell about going out to everybody. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? How does that make you feel about sharing the gospel with others? Excited? Afraid? When it's somebody you really, really care about, the thought someone might hear this message and find it a stench of death is gut-wrenchingly terrifying, isn't it? And that's how you feel about your friend, your family member. How do you think God feels? And yet, it must be so that the gospel must reside entirely in the sovereignty of God, in his purpose, his will. That the same message can meet resistance as well as joyful acceptance. Because the gospel in itself is good news, isn't it? It's entirely good news. There's not a bit of it that's bad news. And it's a message about a holy and perfect God who reaches into the utter mess of the human heart, which is resistant and stubborn and hateful towards God, the God who made it, and and overwhelms his heart to bring peace and fulfillment and the love of the Father, even though it costs him his own son. The gospel has to be God's from beginning to end. And how people receive it is nothing to do with us in that sense. We are to be faithful in proclaiming it, but it's entirely his gospel, his message, in which he delights to spread to people. If we're going to preach a gospel, the real gospel of God, it must be entirely his to share. And so no wonder Paul ends up saying, "Ah, who is equal to such a task? That's certainly how I feel. God chooses people. We speak the gospel and God chooses. It's like um, archaeologists who um, brush away the dirt to discover the dinosaur bones that are already there. As we speak the gospel, we discover the people God has chosen from before the world began, Ephesians tells us. And whilst that may be a worry, I think it's actually also quite freeing because there's, there's no magic method to search for. There's no special words, there's no booklet to memorize, there's no speaker or gospel event that we can so fine-tune that it guarantees people will believe the gospel. God works in people. Oh, how freeing is that? We'd have to get it all bang on right. Can you imagine if it was up to us? I spoke one wrong word and it didn't work. Oh, that would be awful, wouldn't it? But God is in charge. He speaks to people. And likewise, there is no event, there's no, no conversation where if the gospel is, is talked about fully and faithfully, that God cannot use it to bring people to himself and eternal life because God works through people. It's incredibly freeing, isn't it? It's God's gospel. Now, he has given us a, a, a message which you know, exists in a society and social norms and culture and everything else. Uh, so we do need to plan to use those means to share the gospel. We can't just say, well, it doesn't matter, so I'll stand up and say anything. No, we, we need to plan to use that whilst at the same time being utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit and praying our socks off. Absolutely. These are two, not contradictory, they're complementary things. We can make every effort to depend on God and every effort to speak about Jesus. Absolutely. At the same time, praying that God will do his work in them. 
So then point three, um, how do we think people might hear the gospel from us? How can we go about being wise, being sensible, being thoughtful about, about this? And I thought it might be helpful to think about this for just a few moments. Um, people think about what they need and they build their own idols. So when having a conversation with someone, inviting somebody, when, when, when trying to, to speak the gospel to other people, how is it we consider them? Everyone, us included, has all sorts of needs, don't we? All sorts of perceived needs and real needs. And they occupy 95% of our brains at every waking moment, don't they? Jobs, relationships, health, identity, children, sleep, parents, money, career. And around that, we, we tend to build uh, priorities and a worldview and moral frameworks and, and expectations. Uh, and I, you, we're always interested in things that will help us that speak to our felt needs. So we're flicking through TV channels and we see a program that talks about something we, we're interested in or we fear that might be true of us. We go, oh, I'll do that. Or, or a website with a health issue, we think, oh, that could be mine. And we stop and we look at it. We pass a, a, a bookshop and we see a book cover that talks about uh, something we wrestle with and we go, oh, that person may have a solution. We're always interested in things that speak to our need. Now, God says that everyone's need is actually that we have sin forgiven. And it's a bit of an odd situation. It's a bit like being on the Titanic and uh, people saying, oh, I need ice for my cocktail or, or, or I need a, a space to see this iceberg properly. You know? Now, you may well be short of ice for your cocktail. You may well have a pillar in the way of your ideal iceberg selfie, but that's not your problem. And yet people think that's a problem. But God says, no, no, they, they need a lifeboat. So, so how is it we, we work from need? And we need to recognize that... Uh, in our human need, I think we tend to build idols. That's not the same thing. A need is not the same thing as an idol, but we often build idols. We build things that get in the way of God, that are replacement gods from our sense of our needs. An artificial God which we, we admire, we, we, we hope will fulfill our needs instead. So perceived needs are both uh, they are real problems in people's lives, but also a block to the real solution. Okay, and need can be an idol as well. I'd use the word need, I think it's more accessible. And need can imply a lack. It can imply a brokenness in ourselves or in the world we live in. We can talk to people about needs, about our own needs, about our own felt needs and their felt needs. And we can talk to people about need. But thinking that, that my need can be solved by me or the world around me and therefore doesn't need God that makes that need become an idol, or the, the solving of that need become an idol, because it blocks out the God who deals with our real needs. So do think really carefully, what is it this person needs, and how do I talk to them about that and help them see that their idol, or their, potentially their idol, is sort of blocking them from receiving the gospel? It's a great question. I have no answer. Um, sorry about that, but it is the right question to ask of everybody we speak to or we want to speak to about the gospel. What do they feel they need? And, and, and where is their need perhaps blocking them from thinking that they need God? And then we need to recognize that we need courage because there will come a moment in conversation with somebody when talking about needs and talking about priorities and talking about the gospel where someone goes from, I have this need, or maybe God can help me meet this need, to going from, oh, I'm the problem. 
I'm the problem, my solution's the way of blocking God out. It's the exposing of an idol that often shuts the conversation down. That we need to recognize the reality, perhaps, of quite a few conversations we have with people. So it's, I think, helpful to think about needs and idols with people. We may not know what their real needs are. Everyone has a fairly kind of smooth Instagram gloss on the outside of their life, don't they? But everyone has needs and everybody has idols. Have a think. If you want somebody to come to a gospel event, you want to talk to them about the gospel, what are their needs and what might be their idols? And lastly, uh, I think this is really, really helpful. Um, People need us to hear their questions. Uh, Questions, they're, they're great, they can be uh, you know, mind-freezingly worrying as somebody asks you a question, you think, <gasps> what's the answer? Uh, questions can be, can be, can be a, a sense of deep inquiry into the gospel. Uh, they can also be a way of fending off the gospel entirely. So what's the question? What's the issue? What's behind the question? I've got three down here. You may think of other ones as well. Uh, three down here that are well worth us thinking about. When we're thinking about the gospel, how are we going to respond to people's questions? How are we going to listen to people's questions? Uh, and they're on your sheet there. I think people have got intellectual questions. Um, so in Acts 17, in, in Athens, Paul is cited as a good example of Paul's engagement with people who've got genuine uh, intellectual, spiritual questions about the world. And he spends time debating with that. Really, really helpful. Uh, how do we engage intellectually with people's questions? Um, this one thing I've found I think, over the years has been quite helpful. I share it with you for whatever you think it's worth. Um, it's quite often people, I think, have built up a view of Christianity, which tends to be a fairly... Uh, a fairly childish view. They've got their, their idea from Sunday school, from perhaps a GCSE class uh, at school or a CPSH lesson, or they've got it from the telly and bits and pieces, and it's incomplete, and it's not really thought through. So I'll often, uh, I think, talk to people when I sense that's the case and say, well, when I was a kid, I remember colouring this, in this picture in Sunday school about this particular thing, but as an adult, when I bring my adult brain back to think about it, actually, I think this. And just encouraging people to say, actually, where have I got my information from uh, in all this? And often people, people do just pick it up, don't we? we? We pick up ideas about how the world works. But as most of us, if we sit down and watch a documentary specifically or read a book on it, we just pick up ideas, don't we? And relying on the, the vicar of Dibley for the most important questions uh, in the universe will ever ask you is, I think, worse than uh, the FBI trying to train their recruits by watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's, it's not a recipe that's going to yield any good result, is it? And yet people do that, don't they? They tend to do that. Um, so do engage people. Just ask where they got the information from as they're asking their questions and just trying to relate and say, how did I get my information? What helped me discover as an adult, you know, uh, with an adult mind, what, what helped me discover these things about the gospel? Uh, worth bearing in mind, questions can lead to a point whereby somebody uh, tries to block what's going on with the questions. So uh, I had a colleague speaking about the... Um, the Bible to him, and, uh, and he just said, oh, well, you know, all that stuff happened, and people spoke about it for such a long time before it got written down. We can't really know what's in the Bible. It's actually what happened. Okay. You don't want to talk anymore. So using your question as a blocker. Okay. I need to pray for that conversation to open up again. We may have uh, experienced questions thrown at us, past experience of Christians and of churches. That second kind of question, I think these are quite uh, emotionally wrenching to deal with. We need to be honest about them. Uh, it may be there are scandals and hypocrisies and lies and unkindness and oppression uh, in the Christian church and amongst Christians. It may be historical, it may be institutional, it may be individual. 
So 1 Corinthians 5, there's a sexual immorality of the kind that those in society outside the church looked at the Christians and went, ooh, that's wrong, instantly. 1 Corinthians 6, there's power struggles within the church. Galatians 1, there's hypocrisy among the leadership. Um, can I recommend, if someone brings up an experience they've had with Christians or Christianity which is not positive, um, we just apologize. Just say, say I'm sorry, unreservedly. Why? Because the thing that happened was wrong. Now, I think I've quite often in times tried to sort of draw a line and say, oh, well, those people then. <laughs> but actually, I think over the years I've come to see that's unhelpful. Even if it's not my time period, not my church, not my anything, I think it's worth just saying, that is wrong. I'm really sorry that happened. Apologize. And beware tribalism too. You might want to say, oh, that's them, but my church is like this, and real Christians, is it? well, how long has this church been going? How many people have come to the doors and professed Christ? And do we really think out of all those people that there aren't those who have committed acts of hypocrisy and deception and scandal and unkindness? Of course not. The Bible tells us as Christians we, we're sinful people still. And if we're being a bit too tribal and we say, oh, but my church, what if they know something? And frankly, they're wise. They'll go, well, no group of people is that perfect, mate. So I recommend, if you've got an experience question, do perhaps start by apologizing and just saying, yeah, you're right, that's awful. So a colleague was talking to me about Ukraine, and they said that they heard that some American evangelists were on the border of Ukraine and Poland, and they were get, um, having people who came through the, uh, the border crossing their refugees, and they're saying, if you believe in Jesus, we will give you help. And they're just looking at me saying, isn't that awful? And I thought, a million things went through my head. I want to say, American evangelists? Well, that's not British evangelists, is it? All sorts of things came to mind. And, and I just knew that the only thing that would satisfy at that moment, the only, thing, the only way through from that question, the question that was really being asked was to say, yeah, that, that's awful. If, that, if that's true, I said, that's awful. That shouldn't happen. Now, I, I believe the thing that everyone in Ukraine needs most is the gospel of Jesus. But what this person was talking about in their experience of Christians was against the gospel of Jesus, wasn't it? To only offer help if they'll... No. So, uh, yeah, personal... Um, uh, experiential questions are difficult, um, but do think about how you're going to start and what they're going to hear. The last thing is personal questions. People often have uh, a question or two they recognize in advance. If they keep going down this line of questioning, they'll come with an issue that they don't want to have a certain answer to. So Matthew 19, verse 20, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and Jesus says, you've got too much money, and he goes away sad because he does, but he wants it all. Uh, Mark 3, uh, we've heard this recently, haven't we? The power, the Pharisees can choose to go with Jesus, but they choose to turn against him. They plot his demise because they want their power. 1 Corinthians 7, romantic relationships. All sorts of personal issues or questions that people have, and they go, oh, well, Jesus sounds nice, but if I come to him, I'll have to, mm, Yeah. I think it's right to see in advance that um, Jesus is a king as well as a savior. I think the person who's dealing with this kind of question is dealing with something really good. They, they recognize that Jesus is the king in what he offers. And he doesn't offer us a chance to change some things. He offers us Christ-likeness, a complete change of all things in his own time and his own way. And because he's a righteous king, he will be kind and gentle and firm with us in his changes he brings to the rest of our lives.
So it's worth uh, recognizing people asking these kind of questions. They're, they're close. They see quite a bit of who Jesus is, uh, maybe. But, uh, and we need to be honest with them about, yeah, some things will change. However, the key thing is not me telling you to change. It's Jesus. If, if, if Jesus is worth it, then he's worth it. And if he tells you then to change something, he will change it for the better. So, uh, needs, think needs, think idols. Uh, please do listen to people's questions well and think about what they're really saying. Listen, perhaps, before we start talking. Uh, you know, and, um, and whilst we want to correct some information, we also want to introduce them to the King, Jesus, who's behind all these things. And lastly, just uh, those two things upon the page there, I think they're worth uh, just bearing in mind as we walk away tonight, thinking about sharing the, this great news with people. Um, do be godly as we speak the gospel. And do it in a godly way. As you hold up the gospel for examination by the people, be godly. So 1 Peter 3, um, what, what a great, helpful verse. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So, so the standard there is, is as you're talking to people, if someone overhears you or, or you're talking to somebody and they, they don't like you or they don't like the gospel, you do it in such a way with such gentleness and respect and such a clear conscience about what you're talking about that even though they want to say something, as they come out of their mouth, they know it's a ridiculous thing to say against you. That's the, that's the tone of gospel conversation we need to have with people. That includes saying, I don't know. Uh, can I get some help? Can I invite you to a course? Can I, can I get your book? It, it, you don't have to know all things, do we? But the way we go about talking with people, it, you know, we'll show them what kind of saviour we believe in. And the last thing, Ephesians uh, chapter 6. Uh, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. I love this from Paul. He, um, he hasn't got words. Pray words may be given to me. He hasn't got courage. Pray that I may speak it fearlessly as I should. But he wants to make known the gospel. And maybe that's where you are tonight. I'm not sure what words to say. I feel a bit scared about actually opening up the conversation or continuing the conversation with somebody or inviting them to an event. But you want to make known the gospel. Well, Paul says, pray for me. Let me do that for us now. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much uh, that you did come, uh, that you uh, died on a cross, that you rose to life, that you, in doing these things, uh, uh, diminished so much of yourself uh, in order to give us what we could not earn. Uh, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. And we thank you that you uh, want this news to be spread all over the world. And as we come to it, we, we recognize it as a, as a wonderful thing. And we're often a bit weak uh, in sharing it. We're often scared in sharing it. We don't know quite what to say. We, we worry about questions being asked. Uh, and we can't quite see our way uh, through the conversation. And so, Father, we thank you. You tell us to pray. And so we pray now that you would help us to speak the gospel. That, that through you working in people's hearts, you may do the miracle that only you can do in taking someone's heart from death to life, from hating you uh, to loving Jesus. 
and we ask that uh, you would use our church, you would use our conversations, you'd use our friendships, you'd use our, our relationships at work, you'd use gospel events for Passion for Life to do this uh, uh, beyond our wildest expectations, Father, oh, because you are the one who reaches into people's hearts. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.